Welcome to this week's episode of Being Human. I'm here with Roberto Martinez. He is the, the co-founder of a radical software firm uh, called Nearsoft, uh, which had uh, which became uh, somewhat famous for its policies and principles and how it organized its stuff. Um, that company has since been acquired by a company called Encora, uh, of which uh, Roberto is the president uh, for Mexico. Um, so, Roberto, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So, I'm really looking forward to this podcast, and it, and it sounds like it's going to be a, a kind of story of creating one culture, and then an acquisition happening, and that culture now being exposed to a new culture, and, and the journey of all of that, which I'm looking forward to getting into. Um, but bef- before we lay all of that out, I think it'd be great for our listeners if we could just get a sense of of who you are and sort of wind it all the way back to you know what was happening for you and a bit of your background when you first started Nearsoft. So could could we start there? Sure. Um, so I'm Roberto. Uh, I'm from Mexico, um, and you know I am an engineer as as a you know, per education, but uh, not anymore because of practice. Um, I'm in, uh, I have a couple of uh, kids, my wife, and uh, live in California now, but uh, travel often to Mexico to, you know, visit our family. Uh, I like to, to do, uh, you know, different sports and continue to exercise myself. To keep in shape, basically. Right. But um, yeah, that that's me. <laughs> what, what, what sports? Uh, I do running. I do boxing. Oh, I boxing. do yeah. Uh, swim not much uh, lately. Um, uh, tennis sometimes, and whatever is. There, you know, somebody invites me to play soccer, I go and play soccer. If somebody invites to play volleyball, I go and play volleyball or baseball. I love baseball as well. Right, right. Is that popular? I mean, obviously, we know it's popular in the US. Is that popular in Mexico? What? In baseball. It, well, in the north uh, part of Mexico, it is. And I'm from the north, you know. Okay. Northwest. So yeah, it is it is more popular than soccer. Although soccer is now taking, you know, over. Right. Yeah. yeah. But there are many people still playing here. Right. Right. And so if we go back to the early days of, of Nearsoft, you're you're a trained engineer and you want to start a company. And like, yeah, give us a bit of a sense of the founding of that company and, and what made it different. Yeah, well, uh, I started my first company when I was in college and, you know, that failed. And I started another company, you know, once I get into this entrepreneurship, you know, thing by accident, I honestly didn't plan to to be an entrepreneur. I I couldn't, I couldn't go back to, you know, get a job and things, uh, you know, or anything like that. There is nothing wrong with that, but it is, it was just my stubbornness. That you know, keep me. I need to make something out of this, right? Not and not fail. And and I continue trying, trying, and you know, in 2000, 2005, I applied to a 
uh, there was back then a program called TechBA, which was Technology Business Accelerator, which was uh, created by between Mexico and U.S. to help companies, tech companies, penetrate into the U.S. market. Back then in 2005, there was, Mexico wasn't a player in the tech scene like it is today, right? And so I applied to that, um, uh, to that, you know, call and, and, you know, our company was selected. It was a small company, but uh, because we were in the Northwest, we, you know, we were, we were already working with, you know, some projects and things like that. I was an engineer back then, you know, both an engineer and a business guy, you know, moving from, yeah. you know, one hat to another. Um, and in 2006, I decided to move uh, to Silicon Valley. And I met Matt Perez in 2006. And after, you know, you know, working uh, for probably six months, uh, I decided to invite him to, hey, we should, we should work together, but work, work together and that, you know, like a, he was a consultant and I, and I had my company and I invited him to, to the company. Uh, he had the name Nerso. So the name Nerso was his own, uh, creation. I had another company called CQ. But, and I liked the name, you know, because we were doing Nurse and I, and I told him, Hey, we should keep Nurse not secure. And so we decided, uh, that, uh, it was okay for both of, uh, of us to work together. And we started working together in 2006. We officially, uh, announced that, uh, we were going to, uh, you know, to uh, to found Nersoft in 2007, although Nersoft was founded before that. I mean, right. with yeah. you know, the company, right? But uh, jointly, we announced that uh, we were Nersoft in February 2007, February 15, 2007. So that that's the uh, quote unquote official launch of our new company, new company Nersoft in 2007. And this was a, a company that provided software teams to work on custom projects for, for clients, to build software yeah. for clients. Uh, back then, back then we were, you know, trying a couple of things like, uh, you know, working with, it, it was only maybe for, you know, probably be, between 2006 and 2007, we were trying to do projects and work with IT teams and, you know, whatever, but we settled in the, in the uh, software pro company market, which is called right now OPD in 2007. And from there we grew like crazy. Yeah. We were a small company, right? But, and, and growing like crazy wasn't, you know, that difficult. Well, you know, that difficult back then, but, but we grew from 2007 until 2009, you know, uh, in January, <laughs> uh, like 700%. Oh, wow. Um, and I didn't catch that. So OPD, what's that? 
outsourcing product development. Outsourcing is, product development. That's what you yeah, that, right. that is yeah. the acronym that is used for yeah. the software companies dedicated to uh, software product development rather than IIT shop, right? Yeah. Um, and in 2007, the crisis came in and, you know, nobody wants to talk about 2009, 2007, 2009, sorry. Um, and we, we did very good decisions that, you know, maintain us on market. And we, by September that year, we were already growing again. And ironically, you know, that year was like a, yeah, I will say, you know, one of the best years of the company because it made us make some very good decisions that keep us growing year over year since 2010 until today. So we never kept growing from that year until now. Wow. Yeah, and that's a great run. Yeah, it, it is, you know. You know, crisis make companies crisis. Yeah, that is the cliche quote, right? But it is true. I mean, you are in a crisis. You have to make hard decisions, but good decisions for the company. And it keeps, you know, paying back after years because you know what's going on. And, mm-hmm. you know, now for the crisis that's coming, we know what to do, right? Right. Rather than those new companies doesn't know what to do. Yeah. Yes, it will be their first. Right. Um, yeah. For ours, it will be the third one. So, yeah. Anyways. Yeah. So tell us, so, so I'd love to hear like, what, what made Nearsoft different? What were your inspirations? Tell us a bit about what was, uh, well, I framed it as radical, and for many it would seem radical, you know, what were those big differences in the way that you ran Nearsoft and, which of those helped you through that first crisis? Oh, I think we, we, you know, we, we when Nersa, we had a lot of things that, you know, it, it was in a way magical. You know, I, I can tell you that because, um, of course, we had, you know, very good times, you know, very difficult times. But at the end, um, I will say it, it was it was magical. You know, imagine you know we were a company, right? And but the company a company is formed with people, right? And although everyone was an employee, it was we were family. You know, we were created mm-hmm. like you know we know each other for so many years, and we support each other, and and we challenge each other, and you know things like that we never put business before people um meaning that you know we lose money because we put people before business um and and that is something that you know if i don't know the the vibe that you feel when you enter to the to the building it was just unique, you know, and, and people told me hey, what what's going on here. And and we were, you know, and don't get me, we had a lot of fun every day, you know. And don't, don't get me wrong, we worked really hard. Um 
and you know made very good relationship with clients, made very good products and things. But we were we we had a lot of fun everywhere. Um oh sorry, that's my dog. Yeah, so, that's okay. Yeah. And uh, and and a um you know another thing that we had was that so I'm I'm trying to remind all right everything that you know what's going on that's why I you know I'm doing this but um so we had like for example once a month I cook for everyone you know like you know breakfast you know like omelets and pancakes and paella and you know whatever you know once a month I you know bring all the people sometimes we were 40 people and we were growing 80 people 100 people 150 people 200 people and and the other thing is that many outsiders you know keep telling us oh you know what uh yeah you can do this because you are this small but wait until you get to put any number there 100 150 you know whatever and and we continue being the same and the same and the same and you know like now nobody tells us because we are you know more than 700 and we keep doing well well i don't cook for 700 right now because uh now we are because of you know all the pandemic we're working from home spread it all over but uh, and of course, there are things because of the pandemic that we're not doing right now. But there are many things that we used to do before that we continue doing. And, and we are 700 people. So, mm. um, yeah. And the, you know, it, it is a place where people trust, you know, each other. And we support each other. You know, once, <laughs> so for example, once I remember, uh, one of her colleagues, uh, his car was stolen. And um, so he couldn't afford to buy another car, right? And the rest of the team, you know, created, let's say, like a GoFundMe kind of things. Um, but it, it wasn't GoFundMe, it was, you know, in person, right? And start donating money so he can at least complement to buy a car. We, you know, mm. we, we couldn't get enough money to buy a car, but at least he was able to to go and buy a car. He wanted, didn't want to accept it, but even if he accepted or not, I don't remember, honestly. But the action of the people getting together to do that is what speaks out loud about the what i'm telling you you know about that support each other thing and you know all the stuff um if somebody you know got sick or you know uh lose a family member or anything like that we were there all the time so those kind of things um it was, it was, it was my ego. Yeah, it's a, so, it's a, it's a, it sounds great. Um, 
and I've got a question about a bit more about what, what you and Matt did in terms of your leadership, but just your, um, I'm hearing a ping, I think from occasionally, maybe your email or something. It's coming through. Is oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, um, I don't know how to turn that off. Oh, okay. Well, we can live with it. It's all right. Just if there's a way to. Yeah, maybe if I close. Okay, I'll do that. Okay, there you go. Cool. Yeah, so th this family feel, it sounds, it sounds fantastic. There was the cooking, clearly, that, that contributed. But what were you and Matt doing in terms of your leadership? Like, who were you being as leaders? Were there specific policies you were putting in place that contributed to this magical culture? Um, I will say that as the business owners and the leaders, we, we try to be transparent. Um, we accessible uh, to, to everyone. I didn't have an office, for example. I, I sit down in the middle of everyone and every, everybody could hear whatever I was talking to. Uh, if I was talking to a client, to, to my uh, business partner, Matt, or to whoever I was talking to, I was in the middle of everyone. And it was easier uh, before we, we, because we were not big. If they hear something that was perhaps, you know, worry for them, they could ask me, right? And mm -hmm. I respond and then, you know, because we were so few people. Uh, it was easy to explain and, you know, but now that we are so many people, uh, the message disrupts through the uh, spread of, of, the, of the communication, right? So it is not as easy because, uh, you know, you say something, somebody understands in that way and they communicate that way and then next person and then next person and it is complicated because now if i talk to um you know let's say that i have a an all hands meeting nobody not everyone will be able to attend right because some will be in vacation so will be sick somebody had to take a you know, some personal time off or whatever, and they will not get that message from my mouth, right? They will get it from somebody else's mouth. And without bad intention, they will communicate whatever they understood from the message. And that gets changed, you know, to whatever who's, who's the last person. And then um, the other thing is that uh, so we were trying to, you know, always speak in front of people uh, to make them participate. That I think that was very important to provide ownership to them. We never tried to control what was going on, but I will say that we were, you know, trying to uh, to make people, uh, you know, part of 
whatever the process or the decision process was, rather than making decision ourselves, um, we always try to uh, make people to to participate. To participate, I still do, right? Um, some of those things, uh, you know, were I think were key, and of course, work because we were uh, work better because we were a small company. Um, and and I think that you know that I will say those are the things that you know comes to my mind that were more valuable. Uh, that I felt that were very important for, for the culture. Right. The, the transparency the and transparency, making yeah. people participate. And I think that's quite an important point because because we've had several podcasts of this nature where we've talked about these, these very uh, sort of open people first cultures. And often the rituals get mentioned, right? The, 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 the high, highly participative processes and rituals that bring people in. But I think what you've just brought to light is that's in the context, it's just certainly in the case of Nearsoft, of a, of a leader who, who wants that to happen, right? Is desirous of getting people in the ring, getting people to participate. I think that's quite an important point in terms of leadership stance, that that's, that's what you intend to happen. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's you know, that's what I, that's what I wanted. And, and still, you know, I still want it. Um, it makes it a little bit difficult right now because we are all spread out working from home. And it is starting to be in front of a Zoom call, you know, every day because that's yeah. the only way to meet with people. Um, but, but the intention is still the same, right? To make people to participate, to, you know, get, um, uh, Expertise. I, I always said before, and I, you know, I still do, is that, you know, uh, business owners or co-founders or, you know, whoever is leading a company, we made a lot of mistakes. And that's why we have that experience uh, to, to know what to do and what not to do, especially the one not to do, again, you know, is more valuable, right? But if the rest of the of the people that is working with you um, doesn't have that, ex, you know, leave those experiences. It is very difficult to, for them to know what to do and what not to do, right? right? Uh, when you are not exposed to those, uh, you know, decision-making process. And, you know, again, uh, you know, that's my intention, still my intention, but the process is as low, especially when you're you know, bigger, because many people um, will not want to do, but, you know, decisions, because making decisions, uh, you know, it can make you a hero or it can make you a villain, right? Mm. Um, and, you know, people that make decisions are the ones that are on the spot. Because you are, you know, you, you you are accountable for those decisions. So yeah, that does you know continue to be my my intention, and uh, I think that's why you know we have many people that are that there is you know very capable of doing things 
um, in the company right now. So mm. basically, yeah. And and this this question of transparency is an interesting one. So you you make the point that when it's small. You, you haven't got so much risk of the, the Chinese whispers, right? And people are often hearing what you've said directly and then they can come and query you based on yeah. what they've directly heard. And you've got this, this problem of the cascade. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also know that there are other companies have grown to you know, significant size, hundreds of people, maybe more, who still maintain this sort of radical transparency approach or meeting notes are public within the company. Uh, there, anybody can come to any meeting, right? They they still maintain very high levels of transparency. So, to have you sort of moderated that a little bit, and now you're less transparent in areas, or is it just that you have to manage the transparency that you do have more carefully now that there's 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 more of you? No, we. I, I wouldn't say we're less transparent than before. It is just that right now we need to deal with the. You know, I will say, you know, as Chinese whispering, as you as you mentioned, um, when somebody, you know, when somebody says, "Oh, they," you know, let let's say that we share information, right? And somebody thought that we didn't tell the whole story, right? And then the person says, "Oh, they didn't say that." whole story. Now I need to deal with, you know, whatever my message is and, you know, how to uh, back up with that. It, it, that's, that's the part that makes it difficult. Not that we are communicating. I mean, we continue communicating. We continue to, to, to communicate with people as much as we can. And, and, um, But but that's that's the thing that we need to deal with that part. Yeah. So yeah, I wouldn't say we are less transparent than before. Continue to be the same. Um, but but yeah. So yeah, yeah. Makes sense. It. Yeah, no, that makes sense. You you just you just got to deal with it as it comes, and and it sounds to me like then you're making the decision because because I because I see this in, in a lot of companies, right? That they they're making a call to say we're going to be less transparent, and we accept that that has certain costs, right? Uh, but we'd prefer to be less transparent than potentially deal with the problems that come with being transparent. People getting upset, people getting half a story, and then to be getting upset by that people seeing somebody else's salary and getting upset by that. They just don't want to deal with that upset. And that it's often couched in terms of protecting, like protecting the staff from uncertainty and ambiguity about, you know, this position or that. Um, uh, that can be another part of it, right? That there's this sense of that this is, yeah, this yeah. is protective. And so it's, it's, it's interesting to me, you're making a different, you know, a judgment on, on the pros and cons. Exactly. And, and, you know, the, you know, I will say this kind of company requires a lot of training. With this transparency part, you know, the and now that we are a bigger company, we need to make sure that when we communicate, people is ready to receive the message. Not everyone is ready to receive every message. And we need to train people to receive that message. Right. 
um, especially, you know, people that is, you know, in traditional companies, you go to work, do your work and go home, right? Here, you go to work, you are immersed in a culture where everyone is, you know, is pushing this boat to, you know, uh, wherever we're going. And, and then, you know, you go home, but when you go home, you still, you know, get the entrepreneur, entrepreneurship mindset, you know, you're working 24 seven, you know, mm -hmm. that's the mindset of an entrepreneur and people, because they are engaged, they, they want to know more, right? So I will say that, you know, that, that, you know, information is the same. We just need to, uh, to make sure that, you know, everyone is ready to receive the full message at the ones yeah. and that it is the right message. Right. So yeah, but you know, intention is the same. It is just that, as I said, uh, when, when you're dealing to so many people, and you know, growing so fast that so many people get into this culture and they are not used to that. Right. And it's, it is so uh, distract, distrusting of course, because that is human nature, right? Somebody wants to give you something for free, say, wait, 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 why? Why are you giving something? Nothing comes free, you know? Um, and and, uh, and and you distrust. Now, when you see that that is the the a normal behavior, where people is give you know is is giving you something, in this case information, you know, now you say, oh okay okay, so that's the way it works here. But mm -hmm. that takes a while for somebody new to a culture to say, oh okay, now I get it, you know. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we I, I can tell you one, one story that I, I love to tell because it is a reflection of what, what, what I'm saying. In 2020, uh, March, uh, the stay at home was declared in, you know, almost mm -hmm. everywhere, right? As well as in, the, in, in, uh, in this side of the world. And by April, we were getting signals that it wasn't, it, it, it was going to, to be a crisis, right? And we had to make decisions very quickly. Again, we knew from 2009 that we need to make decisions very quickly. And I proposed to the team, you know, we don't know how deep this is going to go. We, we don't know how this is going to affect us. And I don't want to fire anyone because if I fire person, when you have a crisis, you know that that person is not going to get a job and provide to their families right away, right? And they mm -hmm. probably last six, eight, nine months to get a new job and be able to do that. So I propose to cut our salaries. 
to everyone in the company. And, and again, remember, I have, I will say privileged information because of the role that I play um, than people that is doing the work all day that doesn't have the focus and the time to get that information that I work, right. was yeah. privileged to have, right? Um, so it is, when, when you come to that message, it is difficult to trust if you don't have a culture like what we have right now. So I proposed that and I said, we're going to make a survey to everyone in the company. Everyone has to respond. If only 85% or, or you know, if only 85 or more percent of the company say, yeah, I agreed to cut my salary, we're going to cut salaries and not fire anyone. If not, then we will not. And then if we need to make decisions to fire a person, then we'll, we will need to fire a person because we need to keep the company going. So we send this survey uh, and 96% of the people agreed to cut their salary. 96% wow. and everyone responded. And I love to say that story because that is, you know, again, it was, you know, March 20, we sent the, uh, that will be probably by April, between April 1 and 5, and we got salaries on the 15th of April. And, and we, it was going to say, to be, you know, we're, we're going to cut, uh, you know, 10% first. And if prices go, we're going to cut another percent, 20, 10%. So it will be 20%. Um, and we, we're going to go like that until, you know, crisis stop, and then we can go back to normal, right? Without knowing what was going to happen, people respond, 96% of the people respond that they want to cut salary. That's why we do things uh, in this culture. Yeah, we make everyone participate, have a voice, respond, because the other traditional way was that I could make a decision back then on what to do, because I had that power, right? Because of the role of play. But I decided to make people participate on that because yeah. it was going to affect everyone, not just me. And, and, and I think that's a powerful story. Um, in for many ways, but one of them is that the speed of change, right? Because very often oh, yeah. the resistance to these highly participative approaches is that it slows you down, right? If you've got to include everybody's voice, then it's going to take a longer to make decisions. But look at that. You go out the survey April 5th to 6th, but the 15th, you've not just decided you've implemented the decision, right? You've cut the salary. I mean, that's to take a whole company on such an important decision like that through that process so quickly. I mean, that's the power and the speed that you could achieve using high, high levels of participation. Like not yes. always, of course, but it's a great example of how that can be true. And, and, and the thing is that um, w what I say is that, you know, I could make a, a decision different and it will be fast, right? I make a decision, cut salaries or fire people. 
you know, it will be done in a day or two, whatever it is. But the feeling of your team on decisions that you make without any um, confirmation from their side is it, it will vary, right? Because people say, oh, yeah, he had to make that decision because of the business, you know, whatever. But some people will say, oh, he's a bastard, you know, he's, you know, whatever in decision making, he never thought about anyone. You were so whatever it was, you know, I think it, it is better to have people on your side and make them feel part of a decision like that because it is going to affect them. Yeah. It is not something that it was going to affect me only, but the rest of the company. So that made that actually made a very powerful decision. We never fire anyone during the you know pandemic crisis. We start growing again by November. Um and we give everything back to the people because we didn't have to use any of the money because we didn't, you know, we we didn't need it. Right. And that was another, you know, uh, you know, point of confirmation to the team that it was a good decision, that it was trustable decision and you know, yes made sense. Right. So yeah, I love that story. It, it, you know, it kind of surprised me as well because it is not easy. You know, people had to provide families. They have probably paying a, their house, their car, their you know, credit card debts, whatever it was, right? Everyone has their own battles that they need to fight uh, economically. And still, you know, people participated. Um, and, you know, it, it makes me such, you know, such proud and and uh, and happy, you know, to know that everyone thought about each other, right? Not me, but about each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a wonderful story. Um, back to the tra- so, so, well, it's related to the transparency point. Yeah. The um, the salaries are they still public? Does everybody get to see everybody else's salaries at the size you're at now? Well, yeah, but it, it is not like many people imagine that there is a dashboard, you know, and you can see everyone's salaries. No, it is not like that. Uh, but if somebody, you know, go, I, I mean, anybody can go and ask, hey, what are the salaries of these other people they provide? You know, because yeah. anyways, people talk about that. Yeah. It is just, you know, it is just naive to think that oh, you can keep some information uh, by, I mean, to yourself. It is that is not gonna happen. You know, mm. people talk about those things, and you know, it is okay. You know, whatever they wanna request, they can request. But that doesn't mean that whatever they think it will be the right, right? And yeah. and we can have those conversations without a taboo or no, we don't talk about that here and things like that. You know, we can talk about it and, you know, um, yeah, yeah, it is, it is, uh, yeah, I will, I will say, you know, we try to make a normal conversation always. That is, you know, something that not easy to talk to, uh, 
you know, for people, but yeah, we are open to, to, uh, to enable those conversations. Right. Right. Uh, and the other thing that uh, I know your, your co-founder Matt has written about, uh, is, is the point around hierarchy. So you're now you're at 700, this, I think he was rating this about the Nearsoft, uh, company, which is obviously smaller and talking about the lack of hierarchy, right? Very flat. Uh, he used the term co-management um, as opposed to a hierarchical management system. Where is Encora at now in terms of its management structure, its hierarchy? Let me let me give you an answer in, in two parts. Yeah. yeah. It, um, the so Mexico continues to have this flat structure, right? Um, where you know we. We we try to to make things uh, like that still, but there is there is and Matt always telling you you can never get the title out of your head, right? And people get when when they join the company they get oh this guy is a leader not because they have a title but because they are they speak up and they they don't ask for for permission and they, they just do things. And it can be anyone, right? Oh, that's, I need to respect that person. You come from a traditional uh, company and you know that those people, you need to respect them, right? Yeah. So they continue with that behavior uh, within the company. So it, it is not, I will say, a hierarchy and we don't have, a, if you ask for an organigram of the company, we don't have one. But there is this imaginary hierarchy that is there because of the uh, mental models that everyone comes uh, into the company, right? So right. That's that's what I can tell you in in that part. Um, but I continue to be accessible for everyone, and you know, yes. But it is again, it is just that people comes with a mindset that it is complicated to change and it is complicated to change because we were we grew up with that right if mm. i i can tell you and still that you know probably not right now but back then i i continue to thought things the traditional way and i caught me doing it right that was before, not right now. But it, it took me a while to break that, you know, that uh, that behavior. So if 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 that happened to me, that I actually wanted to do this, imagine what was going to happen to somebody that you know gets to this. They never work in a company like that, and they don't know exactly if they want it or not, mm. right? So it is difficult to make that change, to break the habit of and that mindset of thinking the same way. First, you need to intentionally have it to make the break and be able to cut yourself, uh, you know, thinking in the traditional way of doing it. And then, you know, course correct. Right. And when you don't know, you know, what do you want? Or when you don't want it, it is more difficult to do. Right. 
So that yeah, that that's what I will say on the hierarchy part. And yeah, so yeah, and I guess the rest of Encora haven't don't have that same cultural background. Exactly. That Nisoft have. So they've got more of those mental models. There's more to unwind there in terms of how they expect things to happen. Yes. And so you're and you're seeing this this yeah. merge. It is not bad or wrong. It is just different. Yeah. And it, it, it is complicated to make that, you know, change of mindset. Right. Yeah. No, I can I can understand that. And it seems to me like looking at the the Encora website, you've still got a some level of defined structure in terms of like the senior team. Yeah. But then yeah, are you is. saying after that it's it's less formalized? No, 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 no. But what I will say is that uh, in, in the group that I that I lead, it is less formalized. Okay. But the rest of the company, it is. Yeah. It is formalized. We we have a structure, uh, and you know it works. We we grow year over year, and you know it is paying us. Yeah. No, that that that's awesome. And and where do you where do you think it will it will go? Do you do you expect that over time there will be more of a sense of moving towards what you've got at Nearsoft or or is it sort of an unknown as to exactly how the cars are? No, well, we you know the thing is that we um every everyone, every lead has their own way of uh, working. And I think it will continue to uh, to work that way. Um, everyone is free to make decisions on, you know, whatever they want to do. So I will continue to my decisions and the rest of, you know, the leaders will continue to do their decisions. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I, you know, I cannot give you a straight answer on, you know, what they are planning to do or not, because I don't know, honestly. Yeah, yeah, no, but that also... I can just speak more for myself. But yeah, but that also makes sense from just the, the broad point of having autonomy. I guess one could say, well, that means if, you know, you're, yeah, you're yeah. running an office or a unit, then whatever mm-hmm. the structure is that, that you want to lead from is going to be what happens yeah. in that area yeah yeah no, that makes sense good i know we've run over a little time a little over here uh but this has been oh, a fantastic okay. you know conversation i've really enjoyed the stories is there anything else you'd like to share that we've not touched on well um yeah we can speak here for hours and <laughs> i will never stop <laughs> yeah there are there are many things that we were not uh we didn't talk that you know i will be happy to talk in a future yeah. uh, conversation um i will say that you know having this type of culture and organization is not i wouldn't say that it is the best way to do it or it, it will depend on your purpose but you know i continue to having fun I continue to uh, 
you know, to to think that this helps a lot with uh, uh, people development and maturity. I will, you know, I continue to say that it is it is a uh, you know a great way to not only accomplish goals but to um you know to make people proud proud of uh whatever they are building right right yeah yeah and um and and that's that's the reason especially that last point if you, if your intention is to bring everybody in to participate to have a stake in all of the decisions it would be natural then that they feel a much greater sense of pride in in yeah. the outcomes yeah yeah i agree yeah awesome okay well thank you so much uh, i really appreciate your your, your candor and, and thank you and, and sharing the story i i hope it can inspire people um yeah to do this themselves and i think even this dynamic of of what you're doing within for the mexico office within the broader group you know there may be leaders who, who consider that for themselves, right? To the extent that they've got autonomy for their business unit or geographic unit, whatever it might be, try some of this stuff, right? Yeah, well, uh, we don't we don't push anyone to to do this. It, you know, everyone is free to do whatever they think is right. But if somebody wants us to ask. You know why do we, you know you do it this way or that way? We are you know open to anyone anywhere to get access to us and, and do it. Brilliant. So, well, there's an offer for anybody listening that is in, yeah. inspired uh, by this high participation, high transparency, high trust uh, culture. Yeah, reach out. Awesome. Well, thank you once again. Uh, enjoy your your day. Uh, thank you. The rest of your day. It's, uh, it's getting to the close of our day here, but you've got, got the day ahead of you. Um, yeah, I've really appreciated your time. Thank you. Of course. Thank you, uh, uh, Richard, and you have a great uh, night. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human focused coaching and leadership programs, head to First Human dot com.